Hey, welcome to the Outside Church in Port St. Lucie, Florida, and this is our podcast. Thank you so much for checking it out. Hope it encourages you and inspires you. Here's today's message. So thankful you guys. Welcome TLC. It's, it's great to see you guys again. Um, I just, God put a word on my heart, and he, he brought a story from my life. Um, if you would, turn in your Bibles to Ezekiel 47. See, I'll set the tone for you. In Ezekiel 47, an angel of the Lord comes to Ezekiel. An angel of the Lord comes to Ezekiel, and he, he, he shows Ezekiel a city on a mountain. And he shows him a prophetic vision of a kingdom to come. He leads him to a trickle of water down at the temple door. And we know this water, as we read in the Bible, is the water of life. This is, this is the water of the Holy Spirit of life. And he measures a thousand cubits, and then he leads Ezekiel to ankle-deep waters. And then he measures a thousand more, and he leads him to waist-deep waters. And then he measures a thousand more still, and he leads him to waters too deep to cross. See, as I read this, and as God put it on my heart, it brought a story from my life about a kid named Dusty. See, I'm, I'm from a small town in Tennessee. You probably couldn't tell. But... In this small town, summers meant swimming in the creek, the little creek that ran through the town there. And me and my buddy Jimmy, every summer we would go, you could find us in the creek. So every time we'd go down to the creek, Dustin would follow us. But he he wouldn't swim in the creek. He would just stay on the bank. And no matter how much we called him, he wouldn't come down. No matter how much we, we got him to come, he would not come down. But I'll never forget one summer, we got him started off. He, he got into the shallow waters, and he would, he would play there. He would play in the shallow waters, and he was, he was fine there for a while. And then next summer, we got him a little deeper. He would sit, and he'd play in the waist-deep waters. And then one summer, one summer, we had actually talked him into getting on Jimmy's back. And as Jimmy began to swim... It dawned on Dustin, I could tell it in his eyes, that Jimmy was sinking. So he had to let go. But as he let go, the kid could swim. He could swim better than anybody. So it's, it's so crazy to me that because the only thing he really knew was the riverbank, what seemed that, that what would give him life, what would, what would bring joy to his life, looked like death to him. The very thing that that, that, that comforted him looked like bondage. I want to talk to you today about the one thing that will kill your comfort zone quicker than anything else. This thing we always call the comfort zone. See, the, gum, the comfort zone is, is a place or a situation where a person feels at ease, they feel unchallenged, they feel in control. It's where familiarity and fear of the new meat and it'll stop progress in its tracks repeatedly we see in the Bible God calls on believers not to stay in their comfort zone but step out in faith but when we idolize our comfort zone and we, our trust is in ourselves our faith becomes stagnant 
See, this is why he calls us to conquer new territory. This is why he calls us to gain new understanding. He specifically brings us to a place where we have to rely on him instead of our routines. We have to know, he knows that if, if we remain on the bank, we'll never answer the call to go deeper. One of the reasons we find it so hard to go deeper in, in God is familiarity. We become comfortable in situations and circumstances, not because they're beneficial, but because they're familiar. It's the reason we stay in bad relationships. It's the reason we stick with bad habits. It's the reason we wallow in bad thinking. We make an idol out of familiarity. We build our life on its routines, and then we wonder why we're always in crisis. Our peace rests in our present and not in his presence. See, when God begins to do a new thing in your life, he's going to call you out of your comfort zone. In Isaiah 40, 43, we see Israel bound by past attitudes, familiar idols, and familiar enemies, and leaning on past deliverance. And we see God about to do a new thing in Israel. They were taken captive by Babylon. And though they were far removed from Egypt, they were not removed from the Egypt mindset. They still held captive by familiar idols, still held captive by a familiar enemy. So watch what God does. In verses 16 through 19, this is what the Lord says. He who made a way through the sea, a path through the mighty waters, who drew out the chariots and the horses, the army and the reinforcements together, and they laid there, never to rise again, extinguished, snuffed out like a wick. Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. Behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. See, you see what he did there? He tells them, that whole Egypt experience, forget it. He said, because what I'm about to do is greater. What I'm about to do is bigger. He said, behold, I'm giving you a new deliverance. And it won't look like a plague. It'll look like a prince. And it won't look like a Red Sea. It'll look like a redeemer. And it won't look like a Moses. It'll look like a Messiah. And if you stay in the familiar, you're going to miss my favor. Behold, I'm about to take you through deeper waters. Later on, we see familiarity in people. In Luke chapter 7, we see Jesus in the house of a Pharisee. Now watch this. And we see the sinful woman enter and begin to wash his feet with her tears and anoint him with perfume. And the Pharisee said this, If he were really a prophet, he would know who this woman is. And Christ said, you didn't even give me water for my, for my feet. And here she is washing them with her tears. And when I entered, you didn't even give me a kiss, and yet she hasn't stopped kissing my feet yet. See, he was seated with the Savior, but his mind was on the sinner. He was familiar with Jesus, but he was not familiar with his power. And while comfortable in his familiarity, he wasn't redeemed by it. 
I believe that the Lord is telling us today that present victories will not sustain you if past idols possess you. If familiar enemies still control you. I believe he's telling us that just because it is familiar, it doesn't mean that it's for you. That at some point, we have to escape the Egypt mentality. Secondly, we stay in our comfort zone due to fear. But what exactly is it? A good way to define fear is false evidence appearing real. It's a lie of the enemy that has the appearance of credibility. The reason the enemy's lies are so effective in your life is because he understands that the perfect life, the perfect lie has to have a sliver of truth. As the accuser, the enemy robs you of your peace and, and faith and by attacking God's word in your heart. We see in Numbers chapter 13 where God tells Moses to send 12 men to spy on the promised land. And 40 days later, they come back with their report. They say, God, it is, it, God was right. It really is a land of milk and honey. But there are giants there. These men are too strong for us. And as the fear of their bad report spread like a virus throughout the camp, the people went right back to their Egypt mindset. They turned on God, they turned on Moses, and they said, wouldn't it be better if we were back in Egypt? See, fear multiplies like a virus. Statistically, 84% of people have an irrational fear. And 70% of all suicides are from an anxiety disorder, a disorder of fear totaling 5 million deaths worldwide. See, people think COVID is the pandemic. See, people think the virus is the pandemic, but in reality, fear is. In reality, fear has the higher body count. Fear has the higher mortality rate. It destroys families, it closes churches, it brings down nations, and it is not of God. First John 4.18 says, perfect love casts out fear because fear involves punishment. And the person who, who fears is not made perfect in love. That doesn't mean at some point we're not going to feel fear. It just means that we're not supposed to live it out. See, in 1 Kings, we're confronted with a story of, of a, a mighty man of God named Elijah a mighty prophet who called down fire from heaven, a man who constantly saw the power of God in his life. But even though he saw the miracles of God, even though he saw the power of God, he becomes overwhelmed by fear when threatened by the evil queen Jezebel. He runs. He, a man of God who has seen the undeniable power of, his, of God in his life, and he runs. And not only does he run, but he begins to to doubt what God has spoken over his life. Look at verse 4. He says, I've had enough. Lord, please take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. 
And because of this, the Lord does nothing further in him, and his mantle is passed to his successor. See, fear will not only keep you in your comfort zone, it'll kill your calling. The final thing that keeps us from going deeper with God, the biggest reason we get stuck in our comfort zone is unbelief. As humans, we can't bring ourselves to believe in something we can't physically see, control, or understand. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5, 7, For we walk by faith, not by sight. And in Romans 10, 17, Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. So faith comes through the word of God, not the world around us. And it's less about hope and more about relationship. If I know who God is, I can trust in his character. If I, if I know what God has done, I can trust in his leading. See, Hebrews eleven six 6 says, And without faith, it is impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. So basically, it's impossible to go deeper with a God you don't understand. It's the entire foundation of our relationship with God. A.W. Tozer once said, Unbelief is actually perverted faith. For it puts its faith not in the living God, but in dying man. So if, if, if your faith is in a dying man, what is your faith? It's dead. Faith is your confession of God turned into action. It's, it's saying to God with your lips, I trust you. And God with your body, I trust you this much. See, there are only two times in the Bible where God was amazed. And both of them have to do with faith. Belief and unbelief. One is in Luke 7, 10, 7 1 through 10. Where Jesus is met by a delegation of servants of a soldier asking for him to heal his slave. But while Jesus is still a ways off, the, the soldier says, Lord, don't trouble yourself. Don't, I, you are not, I'm not worthy to have you in my home or else I would have came to you. But instead, just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man set under authority with soldiers under me. I say to this one, go, and he goes. And I say to this one, come, and he comes. And I say to my slave, go and do this, and he does it. And when Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him. He said, he turned to the crowd following him, and he said, not even in Israel have I seen such faith. The soldier believes in him so much that he recognizes not only his authority, but his power. Not only his power, but his holiness. He said with his mouth, I believe in you. And he said with his body, I believe in you this much. The second time we see Jesus amazed is in Mark chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. Jesus had come, just come to his hometown in Nazareth. And then in the Bible, he says, he began to teach in the synagogue. And the people were astonished. Now, 
to understand what kind of astonished they were, it just wasn't regular astonishment. To give you an idea of the attitude of the people, the Greek word used to describe this was to strike out with a blow. They lashed out at him for teaching in the synagogue. They said, where did he get these ideas? Isn't this just the carpenter? Their familiarity led to their unbelief. And verses 5 and 6 said, he could do no more mighty works there. In verse 6, he said, he was amazed at their unbelief. In Matthew 17, we see the disciples attempting to exercise a demon from a child. But when they couldn't, the father took the child to Jesus. And Jesus, after having removed the demon, turned to him and they said, why couldn't we do the same? He, he said to them, because of your unbelief. See, unbelief stops the intervention of God in your life. It stops the miracles of God in your home, and it stops the authority of God that you have been given. So how do we gain faith? How do we go from unbelief to belief? See, faith is like a muscle. It has to be exercised. It has to be used. You cannot trust a God if you don't know God. You cannot trust him if you don't know him. So we have to come to know God through what he says about himself in the word. We have to develop trust. We have to develop a relationship with him. We have to talk to God. So once we've come to know God through his word and we've developed a relationship through prayer, we can go on to begin to trust him to take us through those deeper waters. But what happens when we resist the call of God over our lives? What happens when we choose comfort over the calling? What happens when we willingly disobey God's call on our life? First, he will convict you. And John 16, 8 says, And he, when he comes, will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. See, conviction is the threshold of the knowledge of God. It's the trickle of water at the temple door. It's the beginning of understanding. So when God begins to get your attention, Acts 2.37 tells us it starts with a little prickle, like a needle. But if you choose to continue in your comfort instead of the calling, it gets a little bumpier from there. In Acts 7.54, Stephen goes out before the Sanhedrin. The people who were supposed to know the most about God. They were the experts on God and the word. And when he begins to use the word of God to convict them of their sin, God convicts them. And now watch this. Watch the difference here. In Acts 7.54, it says, When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart and gnashed at him with their teeth. The Greek word in this means literally to saw in two. But let me show you the reason for the difference. In Acts 2 were the people who did not know God. But in the seventh chapter, it's the people who should have known him best. They had left the conviction of the spirit unanswered for so long that instead of bringing repentance, it brought resentment. Instead of bringing deliverance, it brought destruction. Instead of bringing heaven, it brought hell. 
And I believe God is telling us today, I am the God of your deliverance. I am the God of your salvation. I am the God of your transformation, but I am not the God of your comfort. The man who forsakes the calling for comfort will get neither. So stop letting resistance keep you from deeper waters. Which brings us back to Ezekiel. Now, I admit in my humanity, I struggled with this one. I said, God, I don't know what you're trying to show me. I said, I see the waters and I see the prophecy, but what does that have to do with this? What are you trying to show me? And he led me to verse 3. He measured off a thousand cubits and he led me through ankle deep waters. I still couldn't understand it. I said, I see the water. I see the measuring line. But what are you trying to show me? And he led me to verse 4. He measured off a thousand and he led me through waist deep waters. And I said, God, I see the progression and I see the correlation. But I don't see what you're saying. And he led me to verse 5. And he measured off a thousand more and he led me to waters too deep to cross. And then it hit me. That every time the vision got clearer, every time the revelation got stronger, every time the waters got deeper, it all depended on who was doing the lead. See, we all start out on the bank. We all start out. We all have fears and familiar places that keep us in our comfort zone. And just like Dustin, the real tragedy isn't in how long it takes us to go deeper, but in how much life we miss in the process. In closing, I just want to say, where are you at in the river? Are you observing it from the shore? Maybe going deeper in this season for you is just planting yourself into a place where you can allow the word of God to work on you and to transform your life. Or maybe ankle, you're ankle deep and you're planted in a church and, and God's asking you to serve. Maybe you're, you're waist deep and leadership is, is what God's calling you to. And whatever the case may be, allow him to lead you out of your comfort zone. And don't let those deeper waters pass you by. Lift up his name, lift up his name, lift up his name. Worship the King of Kings, worship the Lord of Lords. It is time to go not just ankle deep, it is time not just to go waist deep, but it is time to go all the way in. Church, how many here can say they are ready to go all the way in? Awesome word. What an awesome. Give it up one more time for our brother Justin.